You're listening to Planet Prospects, the source for all things hockey prospects. Hosted by David Sis. Welcome to the first episode of the Planet Prospects podcast. My name is David Sis, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Ben Steiner. Ben, what's going on? Not much. Just watched the uh, MLS Cup, but we're going to be talking about hockey today. Uh, a lot of prospects coming up and a lot of good stuff uh, coming up in the next month with the World Juniors. The World Juniors. My favorite time of the year, personally. Definitely right now, it's going to be a lot more fun during uh, quarantine when there's no NHL. So it's going to be a lot more... Uh, it's just going to be good to have hockey back. Yeah, it'll be good to have hockey back. And uh, I mean, you're in the York region in Toronto, so you guys are going into quarantine pretty soon or lockdown, I guess. Uh, so getting hockey back is definitely going to be valuable for you. But I don't know about you, but I feel a bit guilty watching this tournament this year. I mean, it, the players want to be there more than anything right now. And that's, I mean, what we have to think of at the end of the day. I mean, they're, the people that can't play right now major with major junior with the QMJHL, especially just shutting down too for a bit, you know, everyone is just dying to play hockey and the fans want to watch it. And we keep seeing, you know, these positive COVID tests and it, it's a bit hard. People have a lot of mixed emotions. I know a lot of people that they love the world juniors, their favorite tournament of the year, but you know, they're saying we got to cancel this. It's not worth it. And to that extent, I mean, health and safety always comes first. And I'm honestly, I know there's been some uh, issues with um, a lot of teams and COVID, but I think the bubble is going to be, they're going to do a very good job with the bubble in Edmonton. And uh, I I think people are going to be surprised by the, uh, by the fact that there won't be any COVID tests. That's just my uh, personal opinion there. I think when they get into the bubble, there won't be any COVID tests or positive tests like we saw with the NHL. But to me, it's just strange to hear all the talk about, okay, maybe teams drop out. Maybe we can do this as an eight-team tournament instead of a 10-team tournament. That seems like a bastardized version of the tournament to me. And once you get to that point, what's the point of even running it? Like, let's say even the bottom two teams drop out. Still, what's the point of running the tournament in that case? It could be the only IHF tournament that happens in 2020, 2021. Because, I mean, they're possibly relocating the men's senior tournament. Who knows if the women's tournament, of course, that's going to be in Nova Scotia. Who knows if that's going to go ahead. So the idea that the World Juniors, the men's World Juniors, could be the only IHF tournament in 2021 is ridiculous to me. It, ju- it just seems like too much of a money grab to be putting on this tournament. And I mean, if, the te- if some teams do pull out, you know, what happens with relegation? Because I believe they canceled the tournament, uh, the uh, B division tournament as well. So, you know, when it comes to relegations and promotions, if a team does drop out, how does that work? There's a lot... I think we still might not know, or a lot of fans might not know the extent of, but uh, I think when all said and done, I don't think any team's going to drop out. I think that uh, right now everyone's just trying to get those rosters finalized. And I think once they get to the bubble in Edmonton, uh, I think that's when, you know, maybe some players are sent home, but I I really think that the tournament is going to go on as usual. I'm just kind of intrigued what's going to happen with uh, some of those players that, you know, had to, uh, or were, had to leave the tournament or leave their teams early because of COVID. So I think that's going to, that's going to be a big impact we see early on. Some of those guys that were deemed unfit to play or had COVID and couldn't play. And and those, those key guys that potentially, you know, would have made the roster most likely anyway. So I think that's going to be a really interesting uh, storyline. I mean, we'll get into some of the personnel a bit later, but you just look at team Sweden, they've been decimated so far 
Uh, they've lost basically their top line. They've lost their head coach. There's rumors that Daniel Alfredson, the former Ottawa sender, is going to become their head coach. To me, that seems re- a little ridiculous. And once you're doing that, one of the top teams is basically not a top team anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could see them losing any game to anyone. They're not a top team at this point. Mm-hmm. I, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, a lot of these guys, they know the coaching staff pretty well. That They've been here before. Having, you know, going in, not familiar with your coach or his systems at all. I mean it's not going to be the ideal setup for Sweden, especially, you know, Sweden, they have a, they had a good chance to go far this year and they still do. I mean, with Alexander Holtz and Lucas Raymond, you've got a uh, knee back there. You've got Jesper Wallstadt who really draft eligible 2020 top goaltender in the draft. He could end up start, uh, becoming the starting goaltender. That's already some pretty damn good players right there that are going to make uh, first of all, I mean, that offense, that's going to be a nightmare for opposing defenders. Lucas Raymond and Alexander Holtz, you know, getting by them is not going to be fun. Goalies are going to be in for a tough time. Then you have Wallstead in net. He, he's a brick wall. So that's already, that, that gave them a big chance to go far. And now not having, you know, the coaching staff that you're used to and having to come up with new systems in such a short amount of time, you know, that, that's, a, that's not ideal to say the least. It's going to be a challenge. And I know that you really wanted to talk about uh, some of the Canadian teams and the roster that came out earlier this week. Uh, So why don't we get into that? Uh, What sort of stands out about the Canadian teams to you? I mean, look, obviously it's been the storyline from the beginning, the amount of first round picks there. And I mean, having, I think they have about 20 first round picks on that roster is just crazy. I mean, And the fact that I think what makes it even more impressive when you look at the first round picks that made the roster, when you see someone who wasn't picked in the first round, it just makes it all the more impressive that they're there. You look at a guy like Jordan Spence, you look at even um, Taylor Gauthier, who was undrafted twice. He's entering his last year of draft eligibility. So to be named as one of the three goaltenders, you know, that's kind of, it makes it a lot more impressive seeing the fact that someone was undrafted for a couple years in a row, but still was able to crack the roster. And I know um, you look at a guy like Jordan Spence, as I said before, who's another guy who, you know, he really benefited from that early uh, QMJHL season. He played 13 games, had 15 points in that span. He was one of those, uh, he was the best defenseman in the Q last year. Coming into the tournament, he was a guy that a lot of people were uh, keeping eyes on and really looking out for. And you could see early on, Torini was really trying to put him in all situations, see where he could be used. And, you know, the first round picks, something that actually earlier today, I spoke a bit with Craig Button, uh, director of scouting at TSN, who was in the bubble in Red Deer uh, earlier before they went into quarantine. We got a lot of opportunities to watch these players, as well as uh, doing play-by-play for some of those scrimmages. So let's hear a bit of what he had to say on that. Well, it's a really talented roster with incredible depth. I mean, never before has Canada ever iced a team with 20 first-round draft picks. I mean, it's unprecedented. And, you know, six first-round draft cuts and Shane Wright, who's a certain first-round draft pick, first overall pick, were cut. So if that doesn't give you some kind of a glimpse into the quality and and the depth of this group, I don't know what will. I I mean, offensively, I mean – 
it, it's not going to be who's the first line, second line, third line, fourth line. I mean, everybody's going to be able to score. They're going to be a nightmare to defend against. The blue line is, is well balanced, and you have two number ones there with Bowen Byram and Jamie Drysdale. I mean, they're going to play 25 plus minutes, and when the games get critical and important, one or the other will be on for half the game. Uh, you know, one will be on for half the game, and the other one will be on for half the game. I mean, that's a that's a luxury very few teams have. And the goaltending, they don't need goaltending to stand on its head because their team is so good. They just need good, steady, consistent, reliable goaltending. And they have that in the three goaltenders. So, you know, you, you, you put it all together and, you know, we've seen great teams in the past at the World Junior Tournament. And, you know, certainly it's nice to talk about the depth of this group and, and how talented they are. But now it'll be up to them to try to establish their place uh, amongst uh uh, the teams that have been uh, at the World Junior Hockey Championship and see if they can find a place into one of the best all time. That was great insight right there from Craig Budden, who we're going to be hearing. You're going to hear a lot more of what he had to say throughout the first episode of this podcast. But now I want to move on to talking a little bit about another major storyline going into this, and that was the NHL. Now, obviously, guys like Alexis Lafreniere, uh, Capo Caco, Jack Hughes, Nick Robertson. There were multiple high-end guys that, you know, could have, were still eligible to play on this tournament. But eventually, for the most part, besides Kirby Doc, all the NHL teams decided to not let them go to the tournament. What do you think about any of this? I think it's a lot different than if you were to take a look at a lockout year. In a lockout year, you know you're not going to be playing for an extended period of time. Uh, there's no fears of a virus. There's no... There's none of that, none of this extra stuff that has come from COVID-19 and putting on the World Juniors in the middle of a global pandemic. And so players choosing not to go to the tournament this year, it makes sense to me. I mean, you take a look at Alexi Lafreniere. He's an NHL player now. He's making that Rangers roster for opening night when that's likely going to be on January 13. Why does he want to put himself at risk before his first professional season? Same goes for Nick Robertson. He does make the Leafs roster in the bubble, but who knows whether he makes the least roster on opening night, whenever that may be. And so I think if you were to go to the world juniors this year, you're putting so much at risk, especially with all the international travel coming into the bubble, that it's just not worth putting your first professional season or for some guys, uh, second professional season uh, on the line for a tournament where you don't get paid and it is still junior hockey. I think it has to be a player by player basis. I mean, a guy like uh, Kirby doc, right? He, Chicago let him go to the bubble in Red Deer. Uh, and obviously, you know, he was a lock for the team going in. If Chicago let him go, he's making this roster. But it's interesting because he's actually never played at the world at the under 20 world juniors before. Because last year, you know, he actually made the NHL as a rookie in Chicago. So he's actually never had that opportunity to play at that level. And that's something he wanted to do. So I think Chicago, he, he had a lot of conversations with Chicago and they decided that, you know what, this is going to be your last chance to play with kids your age group. I think they knew that this was something he wanted to do, which is why they let him. But again, he's already had that full season of NHL experience under his belt and really developed in the playoffs as well. Yeah, I mean, the World Juniors is such a unique experience for these guys. You take a look at the Youth Olympic Games that's coming since 2012. You see some guys who play at that. I know... Uh, a guy on Kingston, Paul Lidwinski, he'll probably be at the World Juniors in a couple of years. And he played at the World Juniors. Shane Wright played at the Canada Games. So you have sort of options of where you can play international hockey throughout your junior career and minor hockey career for that matter. But the World Juniors is something else. You have the spotlight of TSN. You have the holiday season surrounding it. So you have just eyes on you that you wouldn't have otherwise. And 
for a lot of these guys who've grown up in Canada, the World Juniors has been a dream for them uh, to play against the U.S. on Christmas Eve or on New Year's Eve. Uh, that, that's something that a lot of these guys have grown up with over the last 17, 18, 19, 20 years. And so for Kirby Doc, sure, you make the NHL, and that's one dream, but another dream is probably to play at the World Juniors. And so that conversation goes on with the Blackhawks. They let him go to the World Juniors. But I can't imagine it's a similar conversation when Alexi Lafreniere, he's already played in the junior tournament. He's already dominated the junior tournament, and now he's going to the NHL. So he's already checked off everything coming up through through minor and junior hockey. So he's done with it. He's won a gold medal at the World Juniors. Kirby Doc hasn't done that yet. And so he goes back, gets that opportunity, and then on January 13th, assuming everything goes well, he resumes his NHL season with the Blackhawks, also having a bit of game experience right under his belt. 100%. And same thing goes with guys like uh, Kako and Jack Hughes, who, you know, they both came in first and second overall picks. They came into the NHL and didn't have the, you know, they didn't have the rookie seasons that NHL fans hope they would. And I think that, you know, they've both already been to that tournament before management doesn't see it necessary to send them back there. What they want to see is these guys be at camp day one, learning the system, making sure that they're going to be ready for the season. And they're taking that, those next steps in development. So for guys like that, you know, it makes a lot of sense as to why their teams aren't sending them there. I mean, you take a look at Alexi Lafreniere, the Rangers posted a couple of days ago, him at the training facility in New York, and he's looking longingly out on the ice, uh, looking sort of sad. There was no smile on the kid's face. And he's looking at a practice facility uh, in suburban New York. And I mean, just based on his facial expression, looks like he would rather probably be with the red and white and red deer heading to Edmonton. Um, of course, he knows he's going to be playing in the NHL. But when that was posted last week, we really didn't know uh, the NHL status on things. But I mean, Alexi Lafreniere, I bet, I bet personally he wants to go. But the Rangers sort of didn't see that as a positive place for his hockey playing improvement. Um, which I don't think is the case with the Chicago Blackhawks, who maybe don't see the World Juniors as a positive place to improve for Kirby Doc, but they realize how much it means to Doc himself. For sure. Lafreniere, he's done it before. He's done it twice already. He's dominated. It's not a big deal for him. They What they're really focused on is making him uh, fit into the roster and comfortable day one. And on that note, we talked a little bit about Nick Robertson, who, again, the Leafs elected to not let him um, take part in the tournament. And they didn't even let him go to training camp for the World Juniors team. So I asked Craig a bit earlier what he thought about that and uh, was it the right decision? And let's hear what he had to say. Well, how do you get cut when you don't even show up at the camp? He was never at the camp. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he was in Toronto the whole time and there was some arrangement that he might go there. The reason I think it's an absolute mess in this, and in my view, for me, he would have been at the World Junior Tournament. You know, to be able to compete amongst the best players in your age group around the world in a high-end competition where you have a chance to not only, you know, be in an environment where you, where you can win over a short period of time, but also, you know, you get a chance to be a frontline player and, 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 and everything that goes with it. And, you know, you, you, you look at uh, where he's at. And when I say they, it's blinders, because you're looking at, oh, well, we have to have him in training camp. I believe that him being with the U.S. junior team and him at the world would benefit him for years. Well, guess what? You're not going to have any benefit now. And I think it's absolute a benefit lost not only for Nick Robertson, but for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And absolutely it was the Toronto Maple Leafs that made this decision. It wasn't USA Hockey. It was, it was, it was the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I know every player wants to have a chance to play in the NHL. 
He's 19 years old, born on September 11th. He's a young, young player. I think he's going to be a terrific NHL player. I think developmentally, this is a miss for Nick Robertson and the Toronto Maple Leafs had blinders on. Welcome back to the podcast, David and I, back with you and some more uh, good words from Craig Button, TSN's Director of Scouting. David, something I really want to get into is Canada's goaltenders. You take a look at who they've selected. They've selected the three tallest goaltenders. That is certainly something I know uh, Craig also spoke about that, and we'll get to that in, in a little bit. But you take a look at a guy who's done very well in the OHL, Brett Brochu. He doesn't make it. Instead, you have a bunch of other guys make it. Uh, can you sort of bring us through the guys, the three goalies that Canada settled on and your thoughts on their final decisions uh, between the pipes? First of all, Brett Brochu. I personally, I thought he was one of the best goaltenders and obviously he was, the stats proved it, but I think he was early on last year. You know, he came from playing junior C and he dominated in the OHL as a rookie with the London Knights. I think this year we're going to see him as the top goaltender and a potential nominee for CHL goaltender of the year. That's how good he is in my opinion. Uh, but again, you know, this was, it's one of those things where you have so many goalies coming in and you don't have that much playing time. You know, you're only getting, he only played a, a couple shifts in one game and, or a couple, uh, periods in one game and got the start in another. So there wasn't a whole lot of opportunities at that point. It was whoever makes the most out of the limited opportunities they got. And, you know, it, I think it really starts with Devon Levy, you know, he was quarantined with the NCAA guys. So he actually didn't even get that uh, red versus white scrimmage game time, which was, I think, uh, very interesting considering he's never actually played NCAA or major junior hockey. You know, his only uh, experience to this point, the highest level he's played is junior A in the CCHL. And obviously he's been dominant there. There's no question about that. The stats prove he was one of the best goalies and that earned him a commitment to Northeastern University where he's expected to be the starter, but due to their, um, due to COVID-19, he actually committed this season to play a bit in uh, the CHL again. But clearly Torini really liked what he saw, uh, what the goalie coaches were saying about Levi, (laughs) my bad there. And you know, he gave him the spot to potentially, you know, maybe he'll be that uh, third string goalie. But, you know, Craig, uh, he had some other things to say there. Uh, He really liked uh, what Levi brings to the table. So let's hear what Craig had to say on that note. I could absolutely see him being the starter. I mean, Devin last year was the uh, junior A player of the year in Canada, you know, and obviously the goaltender of the year. I mean, he's, he's got an outstanding skill base. He has uh, a real understanding of, of how to uh, get himself into the right spots on the ice. And, and, and he's got, he's got excellent athletic ability. You know, if, if, I would suggest that if Devin Levi was an inch or two taller, maybe two inches taller, he, he wouldn't have been picked in the seventh round. And much like Dustin Wolf, you know, who I think is an outstanding goaltender. I, I think that Devin has a lot of those same qualities. Now, obviously Dustin, you know, is the reigning uh, Canadian Hockey League goaltender of the year. I mean, you're, you're looking at uh, two pretty good goaltenders that have performed exceptionally well at their levels. And that's not even to mention Spencer Knight, who, you know, has pitched a few shutouts this year for Boston College and continues on. But I, 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 I watched Devin last year in the World Junior A Challenge. I mean, he took, a, he took it. You talk about stand on your head goaltending. I mean, he had to do that. They ultimately lost in the gold medal game to Russia, 
but a, a very, very high powered US attack was stopped cold in the semifinal because of Devin Levi. And, you know, what he did last year in Carlton Place. But even if you go back before that with the Lac St. Louis Lions and Midget, I, I don't know how familiar you are with it, but that year, uh, 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 Levy was, an was a team that lost like two games all year long. Black St. Louis Lions beat them in the playoffs and upset them. It was one of the great upsets in, uh, in midget hockey history in, in, in Montreal, in, in Quebec. And they ultimately lost to uh, uh, Magog, where Justin Robodov was playing and where Felix Podvan was the coach. But I can tell you this, Devin Levi, they, they don't beat uh, 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 Levy if, if, if it's not for Devin Levi. <laughs> so he, he's, got, he, he, he's got a pedigree. It might not be... At, at, at the world junior level, it, well, it isn't at the world junior level. It isn't at the NCAA level yet, but he's got a, he's got a real strong winning pedigree. So you heard it there. Craig Button really uh, very high on Levy right there. And, you know, obviously deserved reason as to why. I think we're going to see a lot of improvement from Le uh, Levi at these playoffs. One thing I really noticed was, uh, head coach Andre Torini, when asked about him, he was extremely impressed with his development. Having not played verse, uh, at the red versus white scrimmages, his first game against the rest of his Team Canada members, he actually uh, posted a shutout and was the best player, according to Torini. So I actually think that he could compete for the starting role. I think what we're going to see is he's going to get into those, some of those preseason uh, tournament games, see how he plays there. Uh, but besides that, who has the second job, whether it's the backup or the starter, because I think Levi's getting one of those, the other one, it's either Gauthier or Garin. And one thing that you notice by talking to Andre Torini is he was really impressed with Gauthier. I think that uh, he was really trying to put him in um, a lot, a lot of ice time. He was giving him a lot of game time and really impressed with the way he can move on the ice and his confidence level. One thing that he spoke about was that mental game. You know, he's not a guy who's been drafted before he's faced adversity. You know, this is his last year of draft eligibility before he becomes a free agent. He has a lot to prove right now. So I think when it comes to, you know, what's on the line for him and obviously this guy has a pro career, he will, if he doesn't get drafted, he's getting signed, but the dream of being drafted. You want to be drafted as a young kid. That, that's what you've always dreamed of your whole life. So I think there's a lot on the line uh, for Gauthier. And that's why I think he is going to earn one of those starting jobs. I don't think Taylor Gauthier has got the starting job. Sure. He is a very good goalie with Prince George in the WHL, but I've got to give it to another WHL guy. And that's Dylan Grand. He's just been too good over the last little while. Uh, sure. He's an inch shorter and a little bit uh, leaner, than Goche is, but he was a fourth round pick this year by the New York Rangers. He's already had that NHL quality. Clearly people saw him in the fourth round with that quality. And I think even if you take a look at the round Robin where Canada is going to be facing Tim Stutzel, uh, Garand is much better going up against a high prospect like Stutzel than I think Goche would be. But I mean, Goche has also gone up against some very highly touted players in the WHL. So it's a bit of a balancing act but I would have to give it to Grand at least to start but we do know about the world juniors that who you give the goalie to start the tournament with isn't necessarily the guy you end with you just take a look at last year with Joel Hoffer and Nico Dawes and I think it's interesting when you look at the fact that Canada's goaltending you know they do not have an elite name like majority of uh, the other teams I mean you look at Sweden 
Wallstat, for example, he could be the starter. You look at Russia, Askarov, right? You look at US, they've got Dustin Wolf and Spencer Knight. You know, those are obviously more elite names, but however, it's not always about uh, having the most elite goaltender. It's the entire team in front of you. So I think that's just going to be a really interesting storyline to follow. I mean, for Canada, they do have to consider themselves somewhat lucky that they're not going to have to go up against a star goaltender in the round robin. I mean, they're going to hit somebody eventually, whether that's Spencer Knight or Yaroslav Askarov. They're going to hit a highly touted goaltender who's going to dominate the NHL for years to come. But it's not going to happen until they get their legs under themselves. So they're going to get up to speed and then they get to take on the uh, hot shots between the pipes. So I think for Canada, well, it might not be great on paper having to face a highly touted team from the other group in the quarterfinals. It's probably a little better than having them in the uh, preliminary round because you have these teams that you should get by fairly easily. Maybe Finland, maybe Germany even this year uh, proves a bit of a challenge. But these games can really be used to get your feet under and get really going before getting some of the tougher teams. I like what you mentioned before a little bit about height. Uh, and, you know, right now we see with a goalie like Dustin Wolf in the U.S. Uh, or playing for Team U.S., you know, he's not a big goalie. That's why he fell so far uh, 214th overall to the Calgary Flames. It's the same thing we saw this year with Devon Levy. And, you know, height with goaltenders has become a big thing in the NHL. And we've seen, you know, now we're starting to sh see a shift in the narrative when it comes to uh, forwards and defensemen. You know, we're seeing, you know, some of the smaller players still get those first uh, high first round picks and get those opportunities. But goaltenders, NHL's teams are still really looking at height. And I think that's something that's going to start changing. I think especially with looking at uh, uh, Dustin Wolf, and I think Levy's going to come out and prove that this year as well. But uh, actually, I was talking to Craig a little, about, a little bit about this as well. We talked a little bit about height in sports, specifically with goaltenders. So here's what he had to say on that note. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's funny how things go. I mean, I mean, Russell Wilson, uh, the quarterback for yeah. the uh, Seattle Seahawks. I mean, he, he's a he's a case in point. I mean, third round draft pick. I mean, he's one of the NFL's best players. And, you know, it, the only reason he went there was because of height. And, you know, it, it would be it would be great if every if there was just a hard and fast rule about height and the big guy made it all the time and the smaller player didn't make it all the time. It's not the way it works. And you know, while I understand, you know, what teams are trying to do, you know, th th there's, uh, there's certainly uh, players that uh, don't fit the mold, so to speak. And I, I think you Soros in, in Nashville is a great example of that. I think Dustin Wolf is on a path to proving that. And I think Devin Levi has a chance to prove that as well. Definitely some good words there from Craig Button of TSN's director of central scouting is his job over there. But one thing I do want to bring up is the success small goalies have had at the tournament in the past few years for Canada. You just look back to 2018-19 with Vancouver Canucks prospect Michael DiPietro. He's a short guy. I mean, he's not as short as Brett Brochu would have been, but he is six feet and he had a 985 save percentage at that tournament a couple of years ago. So he's definitely a good goalie and clearly small goalies can get it done at the World Juniors and even in the professional level as well. Jimmy Howard, only 6'2". Uh, but something I do want to get into is just to wrap up the rest of the podcast, who do we have winning this tournament and who are we going to be watching on uh, in early January when it comes to the gold medal game? Before we get Craig's thoughts on this, I'm going to go first with my predictions. I think Canada wins it all. And I think they play Russia in the finals. 
I mean, you look at Russia's goaltending, Askarov has what it takes to get them there. You look at, I think Russia's defense is becoming, you know, they're a little bit underrated. We've seen uh, the past couple of years, it was uh, Habs prospect uh, Alexander Ram, uh, Romanov. He was that guy there out of nowhere when Russia was, you know, their defense was not, you know, anything special in the eyes of most scouts. They, everyone was really surprised when Romanov came out of nowhere displaying his offensive ability, which was not something that was really known in his game. He was a premier elite defensive defenseman, but really exploded offensively at this tournament. But now I think we're starting to see uh, a little bit more, I guess, skill on that blue line. We're seeing guys that can not only defend, but we're also seeing solid puck movers. Daniil Chaika is going to be a really interesting one of those guys to watch uh, playing with the Guelph Storm this year or when the OHL season resumes and a potential top 10 pick. And I mean, that's not the only top 10 pick that Russia's got. They have uh, Vasily Podkolz, and he was selected by the Canucks a couple of years ago. He's an absolute tank. He's been tearing it up for St. Petersburg in the KHL when he gets his playing time, of course. Uh, it's hard to come by playing time for prospects in the KHL, but when he gets his opportunity, whether that's in the KHL, the VHL, or the MHL, he's been doing absolutely unbelievable. I know a friend of mine, Chris Faber, he does a lot of scouting on the KHL of Canucks prospects, and he's just been bewildered by what uh, he can offer this year. And so I see a lot of success coming from Vasily Podkolzin and, I mean, Maple Leaf uh, prospect Rodi Amarov as well uh, on the front of the Russian roster. And then going back, you have a strong blue line this year. And then, of course, you have the all-star goaltender uh, in Yaroslav Askarov. But for me, I've got to say the U.S. is going to be coming out of Group B and we're going to get a Canada-U.S. final. Canada, I think, is leaps and bounds above the rest. 20 first-round picks on their roster. It's a little ridiculous how overpowered that team is. Uh, so I think they're going to go undefeated. They're going to go on to win the gold medal, but I think the silver medal is going to go to the U.S. They have Spencer Knight in net. He's a veteran. I mean, as veteran as a 19-year-old can be um, at this tournament. He has a bit of experience. He was a high draft pick. He knows what it is like to deal with the pressure. Uh, and he's going to have to step up pretty quickly as well because the U.S., while they might not have guys on defense, they have some absolute studs on offense. You just look at a guy like Trevor Zegers or Cole Caulfield. They're going to be amazing at this tournament it's going to be real fun to watch the americans and i mean early in the tournament we get the u.s versus russia that's going to be a fun game where you get to see guys like vasily pod and go up against guys like cole caulfield two epic players from the 2019 draft so that's going to be exciting uh but i do think that a canada u.s final is what's uh going to be written uh when all is said and done i think uh definitely on the de uh, defense side of the u.s it's going to really be Jake Sanderson and I think Cam York that are really going to be taking the reins there. Sanderson obviously drafted fifth overall uh, this past draft. You know, he's really uh, good at both ends of the ice. And that's what uh, I'm personally really excited to see. I also think uh, Brock Faber is another former USDP guy who I think is going to uh, surprise a lot of people there. I think uh, the U.S. national team is going to be using him a lot uh, in that more of a defensive role paired with one of the more offensive guys maybe it's cam york maybe sanderson uh however i think sanderson um might end up playing with a guy like um ryan johnson or actually potentially tyler clevin his teammate uh roommate actually in the ncaa and uh fellow ottawa senators prospect but let's hear now who craig predicts to win the world juniors canada and russia and uh, I think Sweden and the USA will be in the semifinal. 
and people go, oh yeah, really? Wow, that's really hard to do. Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a five country tournament per se, right? I mean, we see a country here or a country there sneak their way in, but uh, you know, even I talked a little bit about Sweden, you know, that, that's a good team. They got excellent goaltending. They got a really good blue line. They got some offensive players. The reason I go with Canada and Russia is uh, we've talked about Canada. We've talked about their forward group. We've talked about their, uh, their defense group, and, and it's really good. And, you know, Andre Tourney and the coaching staff are outstanding. While Russia has outstanding goaltending, their blue line is, is, is unbelievable. Their blue line with the size, the skill, and, and the way they play the game, it's going to be really, really hard to put a dent into the blue line. And then, oh, if you do, then you got to try to beat a scar off. Okay, good luck with that. And up front, they have a lot more skill than people may realize. And th not only that, they, they got some they got some bulk in their play. Like they're they're going to play heavy and they're going to play, you know, in, in a territorial manner where they're going to hold the puck and they're going to, you know, really make life and try to wear you down. And I, I think Russia uh, has an outstanding chance to, to win the gold medal. I, I'm picking Canada, but it, it, we're talking razor thin here. We're not talking about by a wide margin. And I, I think that, you know, uh, as the tournament unfolds and watching these two teams, like, I think get excited for January 5th because I'll be shocked if they're not the two teams playing for the gold medal on January 5th. All right, so there you have it. Craig has Canada winning it all, but Russia is not going to make it easy for them. Before we wrap things up on our first episode, Ben, who's a player that you're really excited to watch on any team this tournament? I think he flies a little under the radar, but I'm going to have to go with Arvid Crossbar on the Swedish team. He's maybe not a super high pick uh, like you would get to know on Canada. He's definitely not in the first round. He was picked in the seventh round by the Vancouver Canucks earlier this year. He's unsigned, but I do think that he can definitely make an impact. He did play with a bit uh, of the Swedish under-19 and under-20 teams uh, last season in some of those tournaments that Canada doesn't compete in. Um, but I think he can make an impact this year. He's been playing... Uh, in a men's league in the SHL with Linkoping Hockey Club. Uh, so he has been up against guys who are a bit stronger. He's been up against elite talent in the SHL. So my eyes are on him. Maybe he can become sort of a second line center uh, with all the COVID cases taking over Team Sweden. I didn't really expect him uh, to make such an impact before COVID. Uh, but now that COVID said, I think he could be relied upon and he's going to be an exciting player to watch uh, for Sweden at the World Juniors. Uh, I think so too. I think... Uh... Definitely going to be one of those underdog names to watch and see, you know, how that plays out with him. For me, I'm going to go with, uh, you know what? I'm going to go two players for this one because, I mean, I can't narrow it down between Anton Lundell and Brad Lambert. Now, obviously, Lambert, top uh, top prospect entering the 2022 draft next year. You know, a lot of people say he's a top three guy. Personally, I have him in that top three as well. Uh, definitely someone who I think is really going to impress a lot of people. Uh, I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him on that uh, first line, maybe in a bit of a winger role. If not, I think he might end up being that second line center. But first line guy, in my opinion, Anton Lundell. I think with Lambert, what you have to look at is his age. He's one of the youngest guys in this tournament. Uh, same draft year as Shane Wright, and Shane Wright got cut uh, for this tournament. But Lambert, he could have played on the Canadian team. He probably wouldn't have made it, but he's Canadian and Finnish. And he, he chooses to represent Finland because he can be on that team. He's good enough to be on the Finnish team. 
Shane Wright would be good enough to be on any other team in this tournament. Um, I think it would have been exciting to see Wright against Lambert. We're not going to see that, but I also uh, think Lambert is going to have a hell of a time on the finish team, uh, leading that team as such a young player. Well, Lambert, I mean, this season, he hasn't even, he hasn't played in the U20 leagues this year at all. He's been in the league, the Finnish Elite League, the Liga the whole time playing with uh, JYP. I mean, seven points in 18 games might not jump out of the stat sheet at you, but again, he is 16 years old, right? So that's, you know, right there in itself, a 16 year old putting up those numbers on an, uh, on a men's league team is not an easy thing to do. So I think right there, uh, definitely a guy who's going to be a top three pick next year. He could even go uh, second overall next year. So I, I definitely think he's going to be a big name to watch. And I don't think he's going to surprise a lot of people. I think he's going to just play really well. And it's not a surprise in my books. I expect that of him, but my guy, my, the guy who I'm most excited to watch is Anton Lundell. I mean, you know, 19 years old, drafted 12th overall this past year by the uh, Florida Panthers. He's a guy who could be in the NHL this year. Not that it's going to happen, but he could be. He's that good. I mean, you look at him right now, 20 points in 17 games. This guy has been on fire in the um, in the Finnish Elite Leagues as well. And he's even wearing an A. Wearing an A at 19, again, not an easy thing. I think this guy could even be the captain. And I'm really excited to see what he brings to the table. He also made the World Juniors roster last year and he put up four points in seven games. I think he's at least going to double that. I'm expecting at least eight points uh, for him this time around. Yeah, I think you're uh, are going to hit the nail on the head on that one. I mean, it's hard to make productions, especially uh, in such a year where nothing's guaranteed. But uh, you've definitely got some good insight on the, uh, on the World Juniors this year. I mean, you've watched these guys in and out over the past number of years. And so uh, this is really accumulation of their junior career and their minor hockey career for that matter. And for a lot of guys, the last chance to really make an impact uh, on NHL scouts ahead of their draft year. For sure. And obviously, you know, we could talk about world juniors for hours, but stay tuned next time because that's all the time we have for today. Again, thanks uh, Ben for joining me this time. And I want to just give another special thank you to Craig Button, director of scouting at TSN for joining this podcast a bit earlier today. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. You're listening to Planet Prospects, the source for all things hockey prospects. Hosted by David Sis.